0: Welcome to the Sky Pilot podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. I think there's a tendency to believe that there are the remarkably unwavering people of faith who see God's purpose being worked out in every event of life, and on the other hand, those of us who sometimes feel that we are alone in this world, in our suffering, and we wonder quietly or even aloud if God even cares about our pain. First, let me say that the world is not divided into the heroes of our faith who never wavered in their strength, and then we lowly people destined to never achieve that level. Martin Luther, Mother Teresa, even Abraham Lincoln, and even Jesus as he hung on the cross, they all had moments of feeling far away from God. Today, we are going to ask the question, where is the God? Where is our God in the midst of suffering? Now, this seems particularly appropriate at the time of this recording of this episode because our world right now is suffering through the greatest health crisis any of us have ever seen. So before we get into this theological question, a bit of advice, there is a phrase that is popular in education, and the phrase is just two words, teachable moment. The idea conveyed by these two words, is that there are moments when someone is ready and able to learn. But also implied by this phrase is that the opposite exists. There are moments in our lives that are absolutely not teachable. So a couple comes to me in church and wants me to perform their wedding for them. I am required by the Episcopal Church in which I was ordained to do several sessions of premarital counseling before I'm allowed to do the wedding. This works out well because, for the most part, couples who are wanting to get married are in a very teachable moment. They're excited, and their focus is entirely on their life at that moment and their relationship as it will be together, and they're coming together. And this turns out to be, as I said, a very teachable moment. So premarital counseling normally works pretty well. On the other hand... You drive up to a place where there's just been a horrible car accident. The ambulance is on its way. The driver has survived, but the passengers are touch and go in bad shape, and it's questionable if they will survive. This is the antithesis of a teachable moment. This person who was driving the car is in an absolute state of crisis and has little or no ability to process or learn or remember anything, and it would be really ill-advised that, to take that moment and to say, I'm going to teach you some safe driving skills at this moment. When I was in seminary, my pastoral theology professor— stress to us that the moment, the time to help people with their understanding as to where God is in a crisis is never in the midst of a crisis. We do best by developing an understanding of these things when we're not experiencing suffering. And then once we've internalized our understanding during a more teachable moment, we can carry that learning, even lean upon it in our times of crisis. So let me say at this point, here's my advice. If you are in the midst of a major life crisis at this very moment, if your loved one is in the hospital or on a ventilator or if you've just lost your job or any other major crisis that feels like it threatens to overwhelm you, then you're in need of pastoral care, not a theological discussion. And this is probably not your ideal learning moment. And you may not find this podcast helpful. Often in my ministry, I will encounter someone who proclaims their atheism by stating that they have come to the conclusion that suffering in and of itself disproves the existence of God. It seems to me that there are members of every generation who believe that every past generation took God's existence and love at faith value, face value, And they are the first ever to ask, why is there suffering if there is a loving God? First, let me say that calling out to God in the midst of suffering is nothing new. Or wondering where God is in the midst of a crisis has been going on for thousands of years. There are multiple poems in the book of Psalms that are just that, a cry to God in the midst of crisis. Now, I'm going to read you a portion of one of the Psalms just to illustrate this point. But beforehand, I'm going to tell you a short story. When I was in seminary, we were studying the Psalms, and I turned to a classmate who was sitting next to me and happened to be several decades older than me, and I told him how I really didn't find the Psalms particularly moving or helpful. He looked at me for a moment with a very strange kind of look, and then he said, of course not. What are you, 25 years old? The Psalms hold within them the full range of human emotion. And you haven't lived long enough to experience most of those emotions. When he finished talking, I sat there seething with anger because he'd really annoyed me. I hated being told that I was too young to understand, as almost everyone has in their life. And I have to tell you, now that I'm much older and I've gained life experience, he was, at least in my case, absolutely right. I've come to have a deep appreciation of the ability of the Psalms within Scripture to kind of perfectly nail what I'm feeling at the moment. So here's a short passage from Psalm number 69 that captures that idea of wondering where God is in our suffering. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Scripture acknowledges that even the faithful has have times of suffering. So the first thing I want to be clear about is that a crisis or suffering is not a sign that you lack faith. As I have said, even the most faithful people experience tribulation in their times. Look at what? Jesus went through. There are three things that most faiths and denominations, which are designated as Christian, would acknowledge about the nature of God. And these three are, in no particular order, God is all powerful, God is all knowing, God is all loving. God is absolutely and totally each of these loving, powerful, and knowing. And I don't think I could name, I'm sure there are exceptions, I don't think I could name a single leader of any Christian denomination or group who would disagree with these three. But although we might all agree with these three, I will shortly get to the part that will make some religious leaders uncomfortable. In our efforts to do theology, which is nothing more than the study of God, we must use Language. Our language is obviously limited. Words themselves are finite and therefore unable to accurately describe the infinite. Even if we fully understand the nature of God, which we don't, words fall short. Second, we are finite, so we can never, at least in this life, fully understand the nature of God. So the best theology by any denomination or faith, is simply going to be a piece of the picture. It's like going to France on a trip and then showing someone a picture you took of the Eiffel Tower. It gives a glimpse into your experience in France, but falls way short in trying to describe the whole of your experience. Even words can't hope to fully describe your experience, and then your personal experience falls short of fully capturing the reality of the entire country of France. Now, if that's true just in describing France, how much more difficult is it in describing the nature of God? So most all Christian denominations and groups would agree with the ideas that God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, God is all-loving, and here is the struggle. Here's the controversial part. None of us, I would say, can fully hold these three equally at any given time. So most theologies that I have encountered do not give equal weight to all three. In my last episode, I told the story of when the disciples looked at a blind man and asked Jesus what the blindness was a punishment for. Is it his sin or his parents' sin? The asking of this question shows they believe that God is all-knowing and God is all-powerful, but maybe not quite so infinite in the loving area. I've met Christians who believe that God wants everyone to live lives without suffering, but they believe it's beyond God's capacity to fully create a world without suffering. So for them, God is loving and knowing, but not all-powerful. So I would argue that none of us, when faced with the problem of suffering in the world, comes to a conclusion that is satisfactory, comforting, and leaves all three of these in perfect balance. And truth be told, you don't even need to be consistent from day to day in your balancing of these three elements of God's nature. Your understanding of God can be somewhat fluid from moment to moment, day to day, week to week, month to month. Once again, if you return from the trip to France and a friend at work says, how was your trip when you were in France? You may spend a great deal of time talking to her about the wonderful meals you have, the restaurants you sat in, and the wonderful wine you consumed. And yet, it would not be surprising to find the next time you were asked, you tell a very different story focusing on different aspects of your trip where now you talk about art or another time you talk about the beautiful views you saw while you were there. And one version of your story doesn't invalidate the other. They're all true. They just depict you in that moment and how you are interacting with those memories in that moment. I have many times gone back to look at past sermons only to realize that they are sometimes focusing on very different aspects of God. When Jesus says, God knows even the numbers of hairs on your head, I have preached about how God is all-knowing. Intimately and wonderfully we are known by God who created us. And when Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead, who's been dead for days. I have preached about how God is all powerful. And when the disciples tell people not to bother Jesus with their children, and Jesus corrects them and says, let the little children come to me. I have spoken about how God loves, has love even for the least of all people my own balance of these three elements of God's nature changes with where I am and often with what I need from God in that moment. And if you're not sure where your own beliefs lie on this spectrum, don't be surprised or upset. We often have the most difficulty in seeing our own beliefs with objectivity. Now, some believe that suffering exists in the world because of human sin. This belief is often explained using the story of Adam and Eve at the beginning of Scripture. Life was perfect, the story says, until the first human couple broke their covenant with God and they ushered in sin. And we've been experiencing sin and suffering and brokenness ever since. Others see suffering as the formation God gives us in life. I knew a minister one time who said, even a good parent spanks their child to make a correction. God doesn't overcorrect, but often gives us our suffering to make a correction. God gives us our suffering, but just enough, he said, never too much. Mother Teresa once said, I know God will not give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he wouldn't trust me so much. There are those who point to the story that God created the world, as it says in Scripture, by pushing back chaos to bring about order. And I've met people who believe God is constantly pushing back the powers of chaos to keep the order, but sometimes they believe the chaos kind of creeps in. Others explain evil with an active and intelligent force conspiring against God's plan, and this would be the devil. Now, I tend to believe that God created us because God wanted to be in relationship. I believe that God wants a true, loving relationship with each of us so badly that God is willing to give us the freedom to choose. The freedom to choose God or the freedom even not to choose God. In my understanding and belief, creating a universe in which there is true freedom to choose— There is, therefore, necessarily a certain amount of chaos and randomness, else we are doing nothing but living out a computer program. Freedom brings with it, in my understanding, a certain amount of suffering. God doesn't want us to suffer, but to eliminate the suffering, I believe, eliminates the ability to have the freedom God desires for us so that we can truly be in a relationship. Now, if my answer doesn't work for you, that's okay. I'm not surprised. We each have to wrestle with this question and ultimately come to our own understanding, and it's often listening to answers with which we disagree that helps us form the answers with which we are most comfortable. Now, let me say one last thing. I am a big believer in borrowing the strength and faith of others. Allow me to explain. During church every week in the Episcopal Church, we stand and say together the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is an ancient statement of Christian belief and begins with the words— we believe, and then goes on to talk about the various elements of Christian faith that we believe. I have occasionally had people come up to me after the service and complain that the Nicene Creed be- begins with the words, We believe. They say, I can only believe for myself. I can't say the words we believe because I can't say what anyone else believes. When we say the creed, they say to me, we should only use the words. I believe, never we. Interestingly, I'm a big fan of the power of the word we, particularly in this setting. When the church is filled with people and everyone stands in that moment to say the creed, I knew in my congregations, as I looked out upon them, there were people who were suffering, people who were lost, People who are so filled with fear that at any moment, they didn't believe anything. And it was a remarkable feat just for them to get the energy to get to church that day. And in that moment, when those people stand for the creed and they have no faith or no belief to profess, they are absolutely overwhelmed and empty. In that moment, the congregation surrounding them says the words, we believe. And in the midst of their feeling isolated or overwhelmed, the words, we believe, reminds them that they are surrounded by people who are saying to them, it's okay, we got this for you. You may not have a satisfactory answer to why there is suffering in a world created by loving God. But I hope you are aware in your times of darkness and suffering, in your times of emptiness and isolation, you may not have the faith in that moment, but you can absolutely borrow and lean upon the faiths of others to get you through. I know I have. Look around you in those moments. And know that the world is filled with plenty of people who in that moment have faith enough for you and are saying to you, it's okay, we got this for you. If you'd like to offer me a question for me to answer or struggle with, You can get in touch with me through email or Twitter. Just remember, both are SkyPilot with three T's. So my email address is SkyPilot, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T, three T's, at gmail.com. And my Twitter is at SkyPilot, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.